The Thinking Long and Short podcast is brought to you by Perfect Spiral. Joe Miglio and John McCarthy take you on a football journey as they discuss the sport in depth. This 365, 24-7 football podcast discusses everything NFL. Off-season, draft, rumors, training camp, fantasy football, and of course, the season. If you're a fantasy football junkie like me, you're definitely going to like this podcast. You can listen to it on Spotify. Again, Perfect Spiral with Joe Miglio and John McCarthy. Now, I also want to mention before I get started that my newsletter is now available on Substack at truenorthmarketresearch.substack.com. I'll also post a link to the Substack below in the comments. And make sure if you want to go and read the, the weekly newsletter, it comes out five times a week. And I put a lot more detail on what's going on in the markets and also a lot of investment analysis and trading thoughts in there. So if you want to describe, subscribe to that newsletter, you can go do that at truenorthmarketresearch.substack.com. It's a $10 a month subscription, and it's well worth the money because it's going to help you have a ver very good feel on what's going on in financial markets and the investing world. With that, let's get into it. The markets got absolutely clobbered today. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell over 2.5% on the day, down 880 points, selling off deep into the close. The S&P 500 is now at 3,900, so it was down almost 3% on the day. And the NASDAQ, again, continues to get clobbered, now down 3.5% on the day. And the markets got completely clobbered on the release of the May CPI numbers. Now, we got the month-over-month -month numbers for the CPI. We were expecting a gain of only 0.7%, but instead we got a gain of 1% for the month. So prices increased by 1% on a monthly basis in May. And if you go back to last May, prices this May were 8.6% higher than they were in May last year. So inflation is clearly not peaking out here. Again, if you listen to CNBC or any of the analysis on Wall Street, you're hearing that everyone is calling for peak inflation. Everyone thinks inflation is going to start to come down. And it's because nobody understands the inflation problem. But as I've been saying, inflation is a huge problem and it's going to continue to go out of control as long as interest rates are still at a negative rate as far as real terms. Now, we also got the core CPI data, which strips out food and energy. And this is very telling because there we got a 0.6% increase. So if you strip out food and energy, prices are still increasing by 0.6%. But with food and energy included, prices are going up uh, 1% and they're up 8.6% year over year, again, dating back to last May. And again, why is that a problem? Because Americans are spending 38% of their household income now on food and energy, right? And everyone is using all, all of their income to buy the necessities. And so there's very little disposable income for the average U.S. household to be able to buy discretionary items. And that is why we're continuing to see a lot of the stocks that are based off of discretionary spending are starting to really get hit here. Again, if I look on the day at stocks like DoorDash, DoorDash finished down 9.5% today. Well, why? Because inflation is eating too much of the U.S. household's 
paychecks. And so nobody has any money left over to spend things on stuff like DoorDash, right? It's a discretionary service. People don't need to get their food delivered to their house. They can just go pick up the food themselves, especially when a service like DoorDash charges insane amounts of fees to deliver food to your house, right? Look at the ARK Innovation Fund. That fund, that ETF was down 7% today. And again, that's supposed to be a highly diversified fund. But again, a lot of the names in that fund are dependent on discretionary spending. Look at the retail stocks. Best Buy down 3%. Dick's Sporting Goods down 3%, right? You have uh, Open Door Technologies, the house flipping business, down 14, 8.8% today. DraftKings finished down 5%. Square down 6.5%. The Home Builders, the Home Builders uh, ETF down four and a half percent on the day, right? So again, all of the cyclical stocks that all of the typical Wall Street analysts have been recommending investing into all got crushed today because again, the narrative that inflation is peaking out is not true. And that is the narrative that everyone on Wall Street seems to be subscribing to that for some reason, inflation on its own is just going to come down naturally. The Fed doesn't have to do anything to fight it. They can raise interest rates by two or three percent, and somehow that's going to stop inflation, none of which is true. But again, the markets got absolutely clobbered today because inflation is still continuing to accelerate. And now the markets are finally starting to understand, as noted in today's action, that inflation is not going to slow down anytime soon. And it's because the Federal Reserve does not have the power to be able to stop inflation. Because again, the Fed has two tools to fight inflation. One, they can raise interest rates. Two, they can shrink the money supply by lowering their balance sheet. Now, we got the balance sheet numbers last night as we do every night. And again, I'm recording this Friday night. I'm going to release it Saturday morning. So, But on Thursday night, we got the release of the Fed's balance sheet numbers. And remember, the Federal Reserve was supposed to start quantitative tightening on June 1st. Now, on June 1st, the balance sheet was at $8.915 trillion. And as of Thursday night, the balance sheet was at $8.918 trillion. So basically, this, the balance sheet rose slightly. But why is the balance sheet rising? The Fed is supposed to start selling its assets back into the market, yet the balance sheet actually rose by a few million dollars, which means the Fed is still coming in and buying treasury bonds which means they're actually doing more quantitative easing, more money printing, flooding more money into the economy. And this should show investors, and I believe it is starting to show investors, again, notable in the market action today, that the Federal Reserve is bluffing and they're not going to fight inflation, right? Because you have inflation running out of control. They've still only raised rates by a, one half of 1% all year, and they're continuing to expand the money supply in the face of a very strong CPI print. Now, what was most notable today was not necessarily that stock prices came down because you could have anticipated that stock prices would come way down with a high CPI reading, right? Because now the market is going to have to start pricing in higher interest rate hikes by the Federal Reserve. But the gold markets actually rallied substantially today. Now, before the release of the CPI this morning, gold was down, trading down about $10 an ounce. So we were at about $18.45 an ounce. And then when the CPI data came out, gold 
rallied all day long from the release of the CPI in the morning at 8.30 all the way into the close. And we finished at the highs of the day. Gold finished the day at 1,875 spot 20 per ounce, which was a $22 gain on the day, but a $32 reversal from this morning's lows. And again, investors are starting to get it. Even though the Fed is saying they're going to raise rates by 2 or 3% by the end of the year, even though nominal rates are going to be rising, which would be bad for gold, real interest rates accounting for inflation are actually falling, which is even more bullish for gold. And so people are coming in and buying gold here. The gold sector had a very strong day. Look at the GDX, which is the senior gold mining index, was up 4.5% on the day. The GDXJ, which is the junior gold miners, the smaller gold mining businesses, that ETF or that index was up 4.73% on the day. Very strong days for these gold mining stocks. And again, I continue to pound the table here on the gold mining stocks. If you look at the price of gold, the price of gold moved up by 1.2% today, and all of the mining stocks in general moved up by 4 to 5 to 6% today. So if we do get a big move up in the price of gold, say 20 to 30% from here to the end of the year, these gold mining stocks could rally 30, 40, 50, 60% potentially. And so if you have the appetite for risk to hold these gold mining stocks in your portfolio, you should really think about getting an allocation to these gold mining stocks. Again, I'm not giving an investment recommendation here, but if you have the stomach to stomach the volatility, these are great risk reward scenarios for investors here. And again, I continue to see the gold price continues to move up denominated in other fiat currencies, which is a very important point to make here. Now, David Einhorn yesterday gave a speech at an investment conference. And if you don't know who David Einhorn is, he's one of the most uh, formidable hedge fund managers on Wall Street, right? He is what's representative of the quote unquote smart money. And he made a speech yesterday recommending gold for the same reason that I've been advocating, because he said that the Fed is bluffing when it comes to their ability to fight inflation. And so inflation is going to continue to get worse and worse. And that gold is at relatively low levels here and could have a lot of upside potential. And it's funny because I was watching CNBC's reaction to this uh, on the closing bell. They had Mike Santoli and Sarah Eisen on commenting on his speech to buy gold. And they were saying how gold is not really an inflation hedge the way it's uh, marketed, because even though we have eight and a half percent inflation this year, uh, we gold is down 1% on the year, or I think now it's up 1% on the year. But nonetheless, gold is basically flat on the year when we have 8.5% inflation. So gold isn't really acting as an inflation hedge, which is laughable to me because it shows that they don't understand anything about the foreign exchange markets. Now, yes, it does not necessarily make sense on the surface that gold would be flat on the year when we have 8.5% inflation. But remember, as I always say on this podcast, markets always look forward, right? So what also doesn't make sense um, theoretically in the markets is that the dollar, the value of the U.S. dollar has gone up this year, right? The U.S. dollar is trading near 20-year highs 
as its relative value to other fiat currencies around the world since the year started. Now, it again, it's all relative because even though the value of the dollar is going up against other fiat currencies, the purchasing power of the dollar is going down. But people are buying dollars because they are, have been looking into the future, right? So one of the things that is bullish for a currency is higher interest rates. If you have higher interest rates for a currency, it's more valuable to own that currency because you can get paid a higher interest rate on your money. And so because a lot of investors have been anticipating that the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates to fight inflation, right? They're buying U.S. dollars in anticipation of those rate hikes because they want to own the dollars before the interest rate hikes go up so that they can benefit from those higher interest rates later. And so people have been buying the dollar for that reason. And they also have been buying dollars because they expect that we're at peak inflation. And so if we're at peak inflation and you buy the dollar now, and that happens to be correct, and inflation starts to come down, that means the purchasing powers of those dollars will increase. But again, that's, that's a wrong way to look at it. But that is why the dollar is up at near 20-year highs this year with inflation running as hot as it is. And again, that is a trend that is going to reverse itself eventually. But to bring this back to gold, remember, the value of an ounce of gold is relative to U.S. dollars. So, for example, if over a period of time, gold goes from trading at $1,800 an ounce to trading at $1,900 an ounce, it's not that the gold got $100 more valuable. It's that the U.S. dollars being used to buy the gold got less valuable, right? It's all relative because you're trading one currency for a commodity. But the value of gold, again, is it remains constant. Now, there are some supply and demand pressures that also cause gold to go up or down. But mainly since it's used as a monetary asset, right, it's mainly just valued against the U.S. dollar. So again, when the conversion rate of one ounce of gold to U.S. dollars increases or decreases, it's not the value of the gold increasing or decreasing. It's the value of the U.S. dollars being used to purchase that gold that are going up and down in value. Now, again, the reason I make this point is because gold, again, is at 1875 an ounce. We're not too far off of the all-time highs. We're only about 5% below the all-time highs for gold. But if you look at gold measured in other currencies, like, for example, the Aussie dollar, the Japanese yen, the euro, the British pound, right? Gold is at all-time record high prices already in all of those currencies, right? The only currency in which the only major currency in which gold is not rising against is the U.S. dollar. Because, again, as I mentioned, traders have been buying U.S. dollars in anticipation of higher uh, interest rates. But again, now that that trend is starting to reverse because people are realizing even if nominal interest rates rise, real interest rates are falling because inflation is continuing to skyrocket out of control. That means that gold is going to go on a huge run because the dollar is going to come down. And that means the same thing for oil, because again, oil is priced in U.S. dollars all over the world, and its rise has been in the face of a rising dollar. When the dollar starts to fall, oil is going to continue to go up in price from here. Now, we did get a bit of a pullback today. Um, oil finished the day at about $118 per barrel. But again, we're still near the highs. And if you look at all the energy stocks, they're continuing to make 
new multi-year highs or all-time highs. ExxonMobil just two days ago hit an all-time record high, trading over $100 a share. Now, you could have bought that stock in the midst of the pandemic for below $30 a share, but you know all these stocks continue to make new highs. Chevron as well, Occidental Petroleum, all near all-time record highs because, again, the price of oil is going to continue to rise. But, you know, as as high as these oil stocks are trading, their price has actually come down relative to their earnings, believe it or not, over the past year or so. Because even though their earnings have risen by about 3x from where their earnings were this time last year, their stock prices haven't risen by as much. So like if you look at, for example, the S&P 500 is now trading at about 19 times earnings. ExxonMobil is trading at about 11 times earnings. Chevron is trading at 16 times earnings, right? You have a lot of these oil stocks that are trading well below 13, 14 times earnings, much, much lower than the actual S&P 500. And that is, that is showing that a lot of investment money is still not coming into these oil stocks. I think a lot of the traders and investors are worried about getting top ticked here because a lot of these oil stocks are at all time highs. So there's a lot of hesitance coming into these stocks. But as the oil markets continue to climb higher, that's going to change. And I think there's still tons of money to come into the space. But regardless of whether or not whether or not a lot of money is going to come into the space, these oil companies are generating tons of profits. They're returning cash to shareholders by dividends or stock buybacks. So this sector is in a secular bull market that is just beginning. Again, to think that you've missed the train on oil, uh, we're, we're going to continue to go a lot higher from here. Now, the one thing that might slow oil prices down some would be if we head into a recession where travel demand comes down. Of course, that would be a headwind for oil. But again, I think all the possible tailwinds for oil, again, a weakening dollar, um, lack of supply is going to cause the price to continue to go way up in the future. But it's important to understand that our economy is really starting to struggle here. Again, we already recorded a negative quarter as far as GDP is concerned for the first quarter of the year. So if in a month from now, when the G, the Q2 GDP numbers get released, we have a negative print, we will be in an official recession. But we're technically not in an official recession yet. But the Atlanta Fed the other day lowered its GDP forecast for the second quarter to just 0.9%, down from 1.2% the week prior. And so that means we're not really that far from actually having a negative print. Now, again, the Atlanta Fed missed the negative GDP print that we had for the first quarter. So it wouldn't be far-fetched to believe that they have missed this quarter's negative GDP and overestimate are overestimating the GDP for the second quarter. But here's the point I want to make here. 78% of all CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are now starting to forecast a recession. And the most notable ones, which I've covered in the last few weeks, uh, Walmart, Amazon, Target, right? Some of the biggest employers in America are starting to say that they see a recession coming. They're seeing a drop in demand for household items, uh, and they're, they're having trouble moving inventories, right? Customers are not buying as much stuff because they're spending all their disposable income on, again, food, rent, energy insurance, right? Everything is going up. And so it's eating into the average American's paycheck. 
And so there's not as much money left for them to spend at discretionary items at, say, for a Target or a Walmart, right? They're just buying the essentials. But all these companies, especially Walmart and Amazon, both mentioned that they are very overstaffed relative to the amount of demand out there right now, which is basically sort of a hint that they're going to start laying off workers. And again, we have an economy that is struggling so much because of inflation when we're at maximum employment. Right. The employment rate is still at 3.6%. And so we still have a lot of people in the workforce that if we have a recession are no longer going to be in the workforce because they're going to be laid off. Again, Walmart is going to start cutting some of its, its jobs. You have even a lot of the crypto companies like, for example, Gemini, which was founded by the Winklevoss twins. The Winklevoss twins are uh, now forecasting a crypto winter, and they said they're cutting 10% of their workforce. But also, if you look at stocks like Coinbase, Coinbase is seeing trading volumes way down. They're going to have to start cutting their workforce, right? But you have a lot of these companies that are going to start cutting their workforce because demand is falling. Same thing with like a DoorDash, right? Again, why was DoorDash down 10% today? Because there, there's a lot less discretionary spending on things like food delivery services, which means that if a lot of their revenues are no longer going to be coming in, they have to start cutting their workforce. And a lot of Americans work for companies that are going to have to start cutting their workforce, which means you're going to have employment start to rise very, very quickly. Again, we're technically near max employment now, but that can turn around very quickly. And, you know, if you see it, you know, I'm, I'm, I see all the time that, you know, people say, oh, well, you can't have a recession when the economy is near full employment. Well, again, we might not be near full employment very soon. It could take a month or two, but unemployment is going to start to tick up very quickly. Now, if you look at the S&P 500, again, performed very poorly today, was down almost 3%. But what takes up most of the S&P 500? Now, 50, about 55% or so of the S&P 500 is technology stocks and banks, right? Again, the energy sector takes up only about 4% of the S&P 500. You have materials and utilities make up approximately 6% of the S&P 500, right? Healthcare makes up about 6% of the S&P 500. The consumer defensive names make up a very tiny portion of it. So if you own the S&P 500 here, you're mainly invested in technology and banks. Now, again, what is going to do most poorly in a highly inflationary high interest rate environment is going to be the tech stocks. So the Microsofts, the Apples, the Googles, the Amazons, the Teslas, right? And those are all the biggest components of the S&P 500. But there, the point I want to make here is that a lot of people are also baffled that in an in a environment where interest rates are rising, why are the bank stocks not doing well? Because the typical idea is in a high or in a rising interest rate environment, you want to own the banks, one, because they're considered value stocks because they pay good dividends, and two, because they're supposed to benefit from having a higher interest rate environment where they can make more money on the loans that they make out. Well, again, the bank stocks are highly cyclical. Why would you want to own cyclical businesses, which again, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, perform the worst today? out of every sector, right? Why would you want to own cyclical businesses when we're about to move into a recession? And again, a lot of the banks have made loans to people that are going to go bad because people are not going to pay them back in a recession, right? A lot of these credit card loans that are getting made out are going to go bad. 
You know, there's people keep <clears throat> pointing out how credit card debt keeps rising. And again, why is it rising? Because people are buying food and energy with it. They can't afford to make ends meet. And if you're buying food and energy on your credit cards now, and you can't afford food and energy now, what makes anyone think that these credit cards are going to get paid down right in the future, right? A lot of these debts are going to get defaulted on. So you don't want to own banks in an environment where we have a recession. And again, a lot of business loans are going to go bad for small businesses because they're going to go out of business. So you don't want to own banks which are a very cyclical uh, business in an environment where about where we're, we are about to head into recession. And, you know, one point, other point I want to make uh, is about dollar cost averaging, because, you know, I, I keep hearing this a lot lately about, you know, since the market is down, people are saying, you know, don't panic, keep dollar cost averaging into your investments. Uh, just keep putting money in passively every week, every month, and you'll be fine. But there is a caveat to this, and I really want to discuss it for a minute because it's a very important point. Now, if you don't know what dollar cost averaging is, basically what dollar cost averaging means is that when you buy uh, either when you when you start investing into the market, that you're basically going to contribute a set dollar amount every week or every month, regardless of where the market is, and that you know you're just going to continue to add to your uh, your, your investment week after week, and then over, you know, years or decades, your investments will really grow in size. And generally speaking, I agree with this method. I think for most common people that don't follow the markets are not investing, uh, you know, an analysts, um, they should be passively investing every week or every month into their retirement accounts to build wealth over time. But the point I want to make is there's a very big difference from dollar cost averaging into the S&P 500, for example, or into a mutual fund and dollar cost averaging into a single stock. Now, I want to bring this point up by looking at Disney's performance over the past five years. Um, if you had dollar cost averaged into Disney over the past five years, the total return for Disney stock over the past five years is 1%. So if you had bought Disney five years ago today, you would be up 1% on that investment. Now, take take that with the S&P 500. Had you bought the S&P 500 five years ago today, you would have a 68% return. But here's the thing. Disney's stock has actually increased by a substantial amount in the uh, about two, three years ago, and then it came crashing down in the past year or two. So if you were dollar cost averaging into Disney stock, you would actually have a real loss because you'd probably be down about 10 or 15% because you would have bought a bunch of Disney stock at about 140, 150, 160. And meanwhile, the stock today is trading just above 100. So your real return would have been actually a loss at this point had you dollar cost averaged into Disney. Now, vice versa, had you been dollar cost averaging into the S&P 500, you would have a gain close to 100%. One, because the, the S&P 500, you would have gotten much lower pricing on it a couple of years ago. But two, the S&P 500 index also pays a dividend. Disney does not pay an annual dividend. So you only have capital gains there with Disney. But again, there is no capital gains for Disney over the past five years because the stock has gone nowhere. So to the point being is that when you're dollar cost averaging 
The whole idea is you're supposed to be doing it in a diversified manner where, again, you're buying an index fund or a mutual fund that is highly diversified and that is set up to bet on economic growth and development over time, not betting on a single stock. Because when you do that, you're basically treating the stock market as a game, right? Again, you're not supposed to be picking stocks as investing. That's what you do when you're trying to trade the markets. And again, most people that try to trade the markets lose money. But when you're investing in a business, you're supposed to actually do research and understand what price you're paying for the business, what the earnings are, what the likelihood is the earnings are going to continue to increase, and what the fundamentals of the actual business are, right? You're supposed to actually do a lot of fundamental research when you invest in a single stock, not just continue to buy it at any price, regardless of what the fundamentals are or what's going on with the business. Now, with the S&P 500, the thing is, is the, the more successful a business becomes in the S&P 500, the bigger part of the S&P 500 it becomes. And so over time, the more successful companies will eat the market share of the lesser successful companies. And as the economy continues to grow, the value of the S&P 500 index will grow. So dollar cost averaging works when you're investing in, again, the S&P 500 index or in a mutual fund, but it does not work when you're investing in single stocks. When you're investing in single stocks, it only works if you're willing to do a deep dive into the business to understand it 90% as well as the CEO running that company, right? And again, when you're investing in single stocks, you need to understand what you're paying for the business relative to the amount of money it's earning now and the amount of money it's forecasted to earn in the future. You don't just buy it at any price every single week just because you think you're getting a bargain. But again, I keep hearing people saying now when times are tough in the market that stocks are down 20, 30, 40%, you need to just continue to dollar cost average into those stocks. Well, you can continue to lose 20, 30, 40% in those stocks, and you don't know that there's ever a guarantee that those stocks will ever recover, right? Likely, for example, if again, you take a Tesla, which was trading at about $1,200 a share uh, a couple months ago, right? It's now trading below 700 if you have been continuing to dollar cost average into Tesla, there's no guarantee that that stock price ever gets to 1200 ever again. Now, contrary to that, if you've been in investing in the S&P 500 and you happen to buy the S&P 500 at $4,200, $4,300, and now it's sitting at 3900 yes, it may be a long road ahead if we have a recession, but at least you know at some point in the distant future, the S&P 500 will recover and be well above the 43 or 4,400 price that you bought it at a couple months ago. And so again, you want when you're passively investing and you're dollar cost averaging, you're just trying to bet on the economy as a whole growing over time. And again, you'll do very well if you do that. But if you refuse to do that and you're just investing in single stocks, uh, you could actually end up making no money over time and you can end up losing a lot of money. But with that, again, all the evidence is suggesting we are heading into recession. And again, we're finally starting to see a divergence here between the risk assets and the risk off assets. Again, most notable in the relationship between stocks and gold today, stocks got absolutely crushed because of the inflation data, whereas the high inflation data has been hurting gold because again, most people sell gold in anticipation of higher interest rates. And so if the inflation data comes out hotter than expected, 
Uh, people will sell gold in anticipation of more rate hikes in the future. But today we saw that investors are starting to figure out that again, higher interest rates are only going to hurt stocks. They're not going to hurt gold because even though nominal interest rates are rising, real interest rates are falling. So and there's a divergence where people are going to the risk off trade like gold. Um, you also see that in Bitcoin. Bitcoin fell below 29,000 again today, and it's been acting extremely weak. But again, people are selling the riskiest assets. The ARK Innovation Fund today went down 7%. And Tesla actually hold up relatively well, which is the biggest uh, uh, allocation in that fund. But again, the riskiest assets are getting clobbered here. And if you're curious at why the cyclical trade is not working, even though Americans are out there spending tons of money, again, a lot of the discretionary spending that has been going on has been related to travel lately, because again, there's a lot of pent up demand that was there for travel uh, because a lot of people didn't get to travel during the pandemic. But that is only happening this year. Next year, that travel is going to decline, right? So again, Americans are not spending on discretionary home uh, household items. And that's why the cyclical trade is doing very poorly. That's why bank stocks are selling off. The home builders are getting crushed. The, the autos are getting crushed, right? A lot of the car manufacturers are doing very poorly. Again, because Americans are spending too much money on essentials to be able to buy things like cars or to to uh, buy discretionary home items or to buy new homes. And again, interest rates haven't even gone up much yet. So as interest rates continue to rise, there will be a lot less money available for people to borrow, to go and spend on their, their credit cards or to, to um, renovate their homes or to buy another car. So there's going to be a lot less credit available, which means demand is going to drop. Now, a lot of people are also saying, well, wait a minute, if we have a recession and demand drops, well, then doesn't that mean that in, that prices are going to come down too because inflation will come down with a lower amount of demand? Well, no, not necessarily, because what's also going to happen is supply is going to come down with demand, which means that prices are going to continue to stay high and continue to accelerate in the future. Because what happens in a recession? People stop working, right? Because they get laid off people stop hiring. And so there's a lot less people working productively throughout the economy. So there's a lot less production of goods and services, which means the supply of services come down and there's a lot less to buy for everybody, which means prices go up. And this is what happened when the pandemic first started. I remember telling everybody that the COVID lockdowns were going to be extremely inflationary because we sent home millions of Americans and told them not to work. And people were saying, well, no, we're going to have deflation. There's going to be, this is going to be the roaring twenties. And it's so obvious looking back now why we have all this inflation, because again, we sent everyone home. There was nobody working to produce any goods and services, yet we flooded the global economy with trillions of printed US dollars. And now everyone's shocked that we have inflation. Well, again, if we go into recession and employment starts to rise, that means that there's going to be less production of goods and services, which means supply is going to come down even more than demand does, which means we're going to head into stagflation where you have rising unemployment or sorry, yeah, rising unemployment with rising prices. And again, if you think prices are high now, wait until two, three, four years from now when it gets even more difficult for us to, ex to import 
goods and services from other countries because, again, nobody wants our paper. We've printed trillions of dollars into existence, and nobody is going to want to borrow our money anymore. You know, again, I mentioned that the Federal Reserve is the biggest holder of U.S. treasuries in the world, and they're supposed to start shrinking their balance sheet, and they haven't even started yet. The second biggest holder of U.S. treasuries in the world is Japan. The third biggest holder of U.S. treasuries in the world is China. And again, they are not going to want to continue to loan us money and hold those treasury bonds if the interest rates they're getting on those treasury bonds are lower than the United States inflation rate, which means that if we don't stop inflation, which we're not going to, that they're going to start dumping their U.S. treasuries on the market, which will put even more downward pressure on the U.S. dollar meaning that we're not going to be able to buy anywhere near as many goods and services from other countries to make up for the lack of supply that we have here from a lack of production, which means supply is going to fall through the floor, which means, again, in the future, prices are going way, way higher. And again, the gold market is starting to figure this out. The bond market's starting to figure this out. You know, the U.S. 10-year got above three spot 1% today, and it's getting to be at new uh, multi-year highs Because again, nobody wants to hold these treasury bonds. You have the biggest holder of treasury bonds in the market is supposedly going to start selling them onto the market, pushing down uh, prices. And so people who hold bonds now are both subject to interest rate risk and to inflation risk. And so you're holding an immense amount of risk by holding treasury bonds but you're only being compensated by 3% interest for all that risk that you're holding. Again, if you want to get, if you, if you're trying to hedge inflation, instead of take accepting a 3% interest payment on a 10 year bond, right? You want to buy stock in companies that pay three, four, five, 6% dividends, and that can raise their prices uh, on their customers if their prices of production go up. So again, you know, people are, are starting to figure out that we're not going to be able to fight this inflation problem. And again, the last place you want to be is in highly speculative growth stocks. I can't say it enough. These stocks have come down a lot, but they have a long way to fall. You know, a lot of the retail stocks, again, like Best Buy, Dick Sporting Goods, uh, Dillard's, these stocks are all trading at five to six times earnings, which is incredibly cheap. Why are they trading at incredibly cheap valuations? Because again, People are starting to price recession into these stocks. But the thing is, a lot of U.S. stocks have a long way to fall, right? A lot of the the U.S. uh, consumer stocks like Visa, MasterCard, Walmart, Procter & Gamble, um, Amazon, Costco, uh, CVS, Walgreens, right? They're all priced at very high multiples because everyone to this point still expects their earnings are going to grow in the future. But what people are going to start to find out is their earnings are actually going to decline because as costs of business production are going up, demand is going to come down because we're heading into recession, which means that corporate profits have to start coming down. And if corporate profits start coming down, that's been the only thing that's been keeping this market held up. So if corporate profits start coming down, the markets have a long way to fall here. And again, another thing you have to look at is so far this year, the Federal Reserve has gotten interest rates as high as three one uh, three quarters of 1%. So we're at 0.75% interest rates. And yet the markets are getting clobbered down 17% year to date. And we've only raised interest rates up to 0.75%. 
if we get interest rates high enough to effectively fight inflation, which would be well in the double digits, then the markets could go down 70, 80, 90%, all else being equal. And again, in that environment, Americans are going to be able to spend a lot less because there's a lot less consumer credit available. And in that type of an environment, the government can't afford to pay its bills. Again, well, I don't think a lot of people really understand this or they're dismissing it or they haven't thought through it, but the national debt is $30 trillion, right? And it's continuing to rise every single year. Now, if interest rates on treasury bonds go to 10%, which by the way, interest rates on treasury bonds went to 20% in the 1970s, when was the last time we had inflation as bad as it is today? But if interest rates on bonds go to 10%, that would mean that the interest that the government has to pay on the $30 trillion national debt would be $3 trillion a year. The government is currently only collecting $3 trillion in tax revenue every year, meaning that the government would be insolvent because the government can't just not pay any, any money out on all its liabilities and just pay interest on the debt. But again, the government can't borrow money in that type of environment from other investors that don't want to buy bonds. And in an environment where we're supposedly fighting inflation and the Federal Reserve is not printing any more money, the government can't borrow money from the Federal Reserve, so there's no borrower there. So if interest rates were to go to the double digits, the U.S. government would be insolvent. But what's the problem with that? Well, think about all the people in the U.S. economy who receive some sort of government benefits or government pay, right? You have all these government workers Almost half of our workforce works for the federal or for state or local governments, right? So a lot of people get their paychecks from government entities. Then you also have a lot of people collect Social Security, get Medicaid benefits, get food stamps, unemployment benefits, all sorts of uh, subsidies from the government, right? None of which can be paid for if interest rates go to double digits. And everyone in the government has been complacent and expects that interest rates will stay artificially low forever. And quite frankly, people on Wall Street seem to think that as well. They think that interest rates can just stay low forever and that inflation will just go away and that we never have to have normal interest rates again. Clearly, that's not the case because, again, people are still spending tons of borrowed money because why are they continuing to borrow money? Because interest rates are still not high enough to discourage them from doing so. But again, everyone in the economy in some way, shape or form is either directly or indirectly dependent on government spending into all these different programs to give benefits to people. Because even if you're not receiving any money from the government directly, either through a paycheck from a, a government job or from some type of government benefits, you, you're either, either you're not receiving them or you're the, maybe the, you're not receiving them directly, but maybe the business you work for is receiving them directly. And the only reason they're able to fund your salary every year is because they have a lot of customers who are spending money that they got from the government. Or maybe you have a business you're running yourself and a lot of your customers get money from the government and then spend that money at your business, right? Or maybe you're employed by the government directly and you're getting money directly from the government. But again, if the government has to pay all this interest on the national debt that it's collecting in tax revenue, then none of this government spending can continue to to uh, exist. And again, everyone in the U.S. economy, whether directly or indirectly, is dependent on government spending to continue to have the economy running. And without that, the economy comes to a crashing halt 
But again, with that government spending, we're not going to have inflation go away because the government is spending borrowed money. We're continuing to go deeper and deeper into debt. Again, student loans, $1.7 trillion. Credit card uh, debt is at record highs. Corporate debt at record highs. I believe we have $1.4 trillion of corporate debt. The national debt's $30 trillion. The real national debt, if you include all the, the obligations they have to pay, Benefits out in the future, pensions is really at 160 trillion. Uh, car debt, record highs. Again, all the debts in the economy are at record highs, and people are continuing to spend more and more money on consumer credit. You know, we got the consumer credit numbers this week. Uh, I'll go back and look at what they were, but we saw that consumer credit increased again, and uh, we we see Americans are just continuing to spend more and more money. Um, you know, just on, on everything to try and make ends meet. So let me see if I can get the consumer credit numbers. I believe they were up 34 tri- uh, billion, but, um, you know, cr- again, as long as interest rates are low and people are being encouraged uh, to borrow money and discouraged from saving money because they're afraid they're going to lose to inflation, they're going to continue to borrow money to make ends meet. And just because interest rates increase by one or two percent doesn't mean that people are going to start to change the way that they behave or their spending. Um, so, it, again, we have to have interest rates go way up to stop inflation. But there's no sign that that's going to happen, which means you need to continue to own inflation hedges. Now, uh, let me see if I get these numbers here. Yeah, so. Consumer credit expanded uh, way more than expected. Again, went up over $30 billion just this month. And a lot of that was credit card debt. So again, people are spending more, borrowing more and more money because they're spending so much money on essential goods. And because they're doing that, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, spending that's occurring is on debt, which means, again, if credit conditions were to tighten and that debt is no longer available, people can no longer continue to spend. And, you know, I continue to see, you know, I've been doing, you know, one one of the things my wife and I do is we open new credit cards to get the welcome bonuses. Like a lot of credit cards, they'll, they'll you can open one and they'll say, okay, if you spend $1,000 on a credit card in the first three months, we'll give you a $200 cash reward for doing so. And what we do is we just open a credit card We use it for things that we would normally buy anyway. We get the cash bonus. We pay the credit card off and we close the credit card and move on to the next credit card. Now, we've been doing this and we've opened, I think we've opened seven or eight new credit cards in the last couple months and we've received like $1,800 cash back for all those credit cards just because we're getting rewards for opening these credit cards. Again, this is still encouraging people to borrow more and more money and as people continue to do these types of behaviors, we're going to have inflation is going to continue to pick up more and more and more because demand is not slowing down to buy uh, essential goods. And so as long as people can make ends meet by doing stuff like this, right, credit conditions are still too loose, which means the Fed has to get going to really raise interest rates. But again, as the market indicate, indicated today, more and more investors are starting to figure out, just like David Einhorn is figuring out, that the Federal Reserve is bluffing on fighting inflation because the tools in which they have to fight inflation would literally kill the U.S. economy and throw it into a depression, like I've been saying. But again, I think it was very important, the market action we saw today, 
Uh, it shows that we're have we're going to have extended inflation for a very long period of time. And if you're not prepared for that, you need to get prepared. Again, get into get out of the cyclical stocks. Get into the more counter cyclical stocks, the ones that are companies that sell things that people need that have pricing power and can pass added business costs onto their customers in the form of higher prices, right? Start hedging against inflation more because it's not going to slow down anytime soon. And again, even if we head into recession here, just because demand drops for a lot of uh, discretionary spending, supply is going to drop even more because a lot of businesses are going to go out of business, which means a lot of people get laid off. And less people working productively means a lower supply of goods and services, especially in a world where the dollar is going to start to fall soon and we can import less goods. And by the way, import prices are continuing to increase. The last print we got for import prices where they were up 32 percent year over year as well, because inflation is occurring in all economies around the world, except for uh, a few. But inflation is occurring everywhere. And again, supply of goods and services for United States consumers is going to continue to drop. So as we see recession, have a drop in demand, all that's going to cause is a spike in unemployment, which is then going to cause an even further uh, decrease in the supply of goods and services, meaning inflation is going to continue to be high for the very long term future. And again, People who are buying bonds here or bond investors are going to have to start pricing in higher inflation into the bond market. And I cannot stress it enough. Bonds are not safe here. The bond market is a ticking time bomb that could blow up any day. Interest rates can skyrocket literally any day. And if they do, higher interest rates are going to take the stock market down with it. But again, bonds are not safe. U.S. stocks, especially U.S. growth stocks, are not safe. And this is one of the most challenging times for investors. But again, that is why being in the commodities trade is one of the ways that you can really hedge your portfolio in the future. And that's really where the gains are going to be gotten over the next several years. So that's it for now. I'm going to try and be back on here once a week. Uh, I will be back probably every Saturday morning. I think that's going to be the schedule from now on. Again, if you want to subscribe to the newsletter on Substack, truenorthmarketresearch.substack.com, it's a $10 a month subscription. I put down, put out a newsletter every morning, Monday through Friday before the market opens. And then I also put a weekly wrap up newsletter out on the weekends. Again, it's much more detailed than the podcast is. And if you enjoyed the podcast and the content on here, you'll definitely enjoy that newsletter. And it's a way I can definitely reach out and be more personable to the people who follow my investing content. So that's it for now. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll be back next week for more. I expect that the markets are probably going to continue to trade lower this week. Um, we'll see if we get a bounce next week. I think we got the Fed coming out uh, next week. A lot of people are expecting that they're going to raise their interest rate targets. I think they're going to stick with 50 basis points. And if they stick with 50 basis points, expect gold to continue to rally, oil to continue to rally. And a lot of the more value-oriented stocks are going to continue to rally, especially the ones that have pricing power that can pass added costs on to consumers because they sell products that people need. So that's it for now. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care.